Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Bren Gibbs. All right, so we've got Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1, so you can read along with me here. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening or discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. It's a good one, huh? <laughs> you guys ready tonight? <laughs> Here we go. Um, so when we look at this, we look at verse 5, and this scripture, it, it says, yeah, and, have, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. This scripture here was taken out of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son that he receives. So, so what we have to do is many of us have not really maybe had an example of that in the natural. Maybe your, your father, when he disciplined, he was mad and angry, you know, or maybe you didn't really catch the heart of what your father was doing when he was disciplining you. You know, it, it says in the scriptures that, our fathers disciplined us for what they felt like was going to be good for us. But God disciplines us and chastens us that we can be partakers in his holiness. That's the Lord's ultimate goal. 
Holiness is a word that means set apart unto him. He says, the word says God is holy, right? God is the holy one. He is the one that is ultimately set apart like no other. But the Lord says, be holy as I am holy. And so what he's saying is be set apart like I am set apart. Be set apart unto me. Come over here and set yourself apart like I have set myself apart. And that's what the Lord is desiring through a discipline and a chastening with you. That's what his ultimate goal and what his heart is that he can set you apart because the holiness of God is where the glory of God is, which is what we've been called to. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were made for his glory. We were made to be partakers of that. And so we've fallen short of it, but God has made a way for us to receive his glory again. Praise God. <laughs> so so we, we need to come to an understanding and be renewed in our minds of what discipline is all about. That when the Lord chooses to discipline, it's not because he's mad at us. It's not because he's angry at us. It's because he sees in us our potential. You know, maybe a, another way that we could look at it is that of a coach. You know, oftentimes a coach, you know, if somebody's training for the Olympics or something, a coach will, you know, be hardest, or in a team, a coach will be hardest usually on the one that is the best, you know, that makes the most shots and everything else. And sometimes that coach hones in on those people that he sees great potential in and does things harder for them. You know, he challenges them more and, and maybe gets in their face a little bit more or whatever. But it's because of the potential that that coach sees is why that coach is doing those things to them. And that's the same with the Lord. He's, it's because he sees potential in us. It's not because he's mad or angry or he's reacting out of that anger. It's because he has a plan and a purpose. And so... One time, um, Brian and I, several years ago, were, we were counseling a couple, and one of them had been divorced, and they were having some trouble with um, the unbelieving ex-spouse, and they were saying to us, I just, we just don't get it. Why is it that they get away with so much, all these things that they do, they get away with it, but we don't get away with anything. You know, when we mess up or if we do something, we don't get away with anything. And we had to tell him, it's because you're a son. It's because you're a daughter. That unbeliever is not a son and daughter of God. But you are. And God's going to make sure <laughs> that, <laughs> that he deals with you as a son and a daughter. And it was like a revelation to them. Like, oh my gosh. But that should be an encouragement to you. That should be an encouragement to all of us that... You know, I've heard people say, God won't let me get away with anything. Good. You know, <laughs> good. That means that you're a son and a daughter of the Most High. And that's a blessing. So, so we have to, we have, again, we have to change our way of thinking on this, of, of who we are and, and what we are walking through and what the Lord is doing in it and what he desires to do in it. 
So let's look at verse 7. It says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And it goes on and it says that if you're not being chastened or disciplined by the Lord, that you're actually not a son. You're actually not a son if you don't endure discipline. You're not a son of God. You're not a daughter of God if you don't endure discipline. That is just like in the natural, you know, that is a sure sign that you are, that you are a son and a daughter. Now, the NIV says it in verse 7 this way. It says, endure hardship as discipline. Endure hardship as discipline. So when we are going through a difficult time, when we are enduring a difficult time, that to us should be a sign if we're going through something. Okay, God is trying to teach me something here. God is trying to change my character. God is trying to develop something deeper in me so that I can carry more of his glory, his authority, his weightiness, his holiness, something that he has for me that he wants to give me. The Greek root word here for endure is to remain. All right? So instead of maybe maybe endure, think of it like this, remain, to remain, to tarry, to abide, not recede or flee, to persevere or to endure. So when we endure something, when we endure the chastening of the Lord, what he is also trying to do, not only it is, a, it is an opportunity for intimacy with him. It's an opportunity for abiding with him or remaining with him in something so that your relationship grows with him and you become more like him. And you actually, we're, we'll get into it maybe later, but there's actually a binding that happens between you and the Lord. It's a binding, it's an interweaving, like a, like a rope that has different uh, strings, and, you, and they're intertwined. That's what's happening when you endure or when you wait upon the Lord and endure hardship as discipline. That's, what, that's the picture that God wants you to see tonight. Now, verse, verse 11 is very important also. It says, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Now, first of all, I just want to point out seems. <laughs> no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness. Here's the key to those who have been trained by it. Do you know that... Some of us can go through the discipline of the Lord, but we're not allowing him to train us in that discipline. Sometimes we can be enduring difficult seasons or hardships or going through a long suffering, but, but we can not be allowing ourselves to be trained by it. You know, 
We, can, we, can't, we might just be just trying to get out of it so much that we're not even learning in the process and we're not allowing the Lord to shift us and change us in it. And so that's very important key is that when we are enduring, okay, if you're gonna if you're gonna have to be patient and wait through something, if you're gonna have to endure something, let's let's profit from it, you know? <laughs> let's get something out of it instead of the Lord having to take you around the mountain again later on down the road because you didn't learn something that he's keep and he'll keep trying. He'll he'll let you you know, he'll he'll just sit there and you'll try He'll just let you try as many times as you have to, and, and, but he'll keep, he'll keep bringing you to that place that he's trying to work something within you and work something within you. I heard of a, um, a woman who had a, she had, she had a vision or a dream or something, and it was, um, and she saw her angel, her guardian angel, and um, they were walking together. And all of a sudden, she realized, wow, my angel is, like, really buff, you know. And she was like, well, that's good, you know. And she, she started thinking, hey, I get a buff angel, you know. And the angel obviously knew what she was thinking. And the angel basically said to her, the reason why I'm buff is because I keep having to wrestle with you in order for you to to accomplish what the Lord wants you to accomplish. So that's why I'm so buff. <laughs> and it was a little bit of a rebuke to her, I guess, but, <laughs> but she learned. So I don't know. I don't know if you want a wimpy angel or a buff one. But, <laughs> but that's what she experienced. So um, <clears throat> anyway, so let's go on to verse 12. It says, therefore, strengthen your hands which hang down, and your feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may, be, may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. And so what we're, what the process, this is what God is wanting to accomplish in your life through the Lord's discipline and through his training. Your hands are supposed to be strengthened. If you have hands that hang down and that are weak, you need to strengthen your hands. Your hands need to be strengthened. You need to strengthen feeble knees. I'm talking in the spirit realm right now. Some of us have feeble knees, and we need to strengthen those. That's what the Lord's trying to do through, through the endurance, through that endurance and, and, and working it out. We need to strengthen those feeble knees, make straight paths for your feet. That's what happens when, when the Lord begins to discipline you, that your path gets straight for your feet. It says, so that, the, so that what is lame may not be dislocated. So God is trying to align you. He's trying to align those areas of your life that are dislocated whether it be because of sin in your past, of generational things in your past, or, or whatever it might be. Of, but he's trying to align you. He's trying to get that dislocation that's making you lame in areas of your life. <clears throat> he wants to heal you. He's trying to heal you and make you healed and whole so that you can walk in wholeness. So we're going to go on. We're going to go to James. Chapter 1, 
And so what we read in verse 11, it said, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. But here in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So first of all, uh, have you gotten to the point where when you fall into various trials, you count it all joy? (laughs) Have you gotten to that point in your life yet? That's a challenge, isn't it? It can be a real challenge, and that goes against our natural minds. And our natural way of thinking. But God is not wanting us to think naturally. He's wanting us to set ourselves apart like he is set apart. Right? So we are to count it all joy when we fall into these trials. Knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience. So, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. So let's look at that word perfect. All right, another word for it could be mature, that you may be mature. Because in the Eastern and Western cultures, that word perfect really does mean different things. You know, in in our culture, we in the Western world, you know, we see perfect as almost like perfection, right? Everything has to be in its place. Nothing can be out of place. A perfectionist, let's say, would, if you walked into their closet, all of their hangers would be, you know, lined up the same width apart, you know, and, and maybe their, their closet would be color-coordinated or, you know, something. I mean, it's nice to be organized, I know, but, <laughs> but perfection, it takes it to a whole nother level, you know, or, you know, just everything has to be perfect and in its place. Nothing can be out of place. The Lord spoke to me one time several years ago, and he said, I am perfect, but I'm not a perfectionist. That'll bring freedom to somebody tonight. He told me that. He said, I am, I am perfect, but I am not a perfectionist. And this scripture here, when we see about being perfect, what the Eastern culture sees as perfect is more like the word maturity. They see something as mature, okay, as an example, like a tree, a big oak tree, you know, there's the potential of it in the seed to become something. But the perfection of it is when it comes to full maturity and it creates that shade for people and it comes to the, its fullest potential. That is perfection more in the Eastern culture than the Western where we think of perfectionism, you know, something being perfect. But it's, it's a maturing And so what God is saying in this, let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, is that you are supposed to be coming into a fullness of what God has created you in the potential of who you are. 
That is the fullness. That's the perfection he's looking for. That's the maturity that he's looking for. He sees you maybe, you know, as a seed or, you know, as a small tree sprouting up. But when we talk about perfection, that patience working in us and creating something in us, it's to allow us to become our fullest potential in God and who he created us to be ultimately. Isn't that good? It's good. And so we need to embrace this endurance and this working out of our faith and these trials that may come into our lives, these hardships that may come into our lives, because we know already that God is working all things for our good, right? To those who love him and who are called according to his purposes. And so when we know that, we can trust that God is doing something in the process. And the process is so important. He wants us to be lacking in nothing. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be lacking in nothing. He wants you to have the fullness of everything. That's his heart. That's his will for your life. Fullness. And when we look at this, again, as a son and a daughter, Jesus was not exempt from this process either. You know, we think, oh, well, Jesus was perfect. He didn't have to go through anything, right? Well, that's not the case, and that's not what Scripture says. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Jesus was not exempt from this process either of enduring hardship and being disciplined by his father. I mean, a lot of times we think, Jesus didn't need to be disciplined, (laughs) you know. Did he? Because in our minds it's skewed because we think, you know, discipline is because you're bad. (laughs) But that's not necessarily the case. Discipline is for maturing. You got it? So Hebrews chapter 5, let's start in verse 5. It says, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. So we're establishing his sonship, okay? And then it says, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now in this passage of scripture, that's what ultimately they're getting at is him being a priest in the order of Melchizedek. But this is very important in verse 7. It says, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son Yet he learned, we're talking about Jesus here, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain since you have become hard, dull of hearing. So let's look through this a little bit. 
it says in verse 7, what did he do? He offered up prayers and supplications. That's what Jesus did. Offered up prayers and supplications with cries and tears to, to God who was able to hear him, right? And he did, God did hear him, right? Now, Jesus, we know in the garden, he prayed, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. You know, if it be possible, if there's another way, let this pa- cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, right? And God heard that prayer. But doesn't mean that he really answered it the way <laughs> that, that we like to have prayers answered. But God heard that prayer because of his godly fear. In verse 8, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. See, Jesus was not exempt from this process. And why? Because he was the son. He was the first son. And so this is a process that every son and daughter of God's, of the heavenly father, goes through. No one is exempt from it. Not Jesus, not anyone. He learned obedience by what he suffered. And having been perfected, there's that word again, perfection. How could Jesus have been perfected? He came to maturity, the maturity of his calling, the fullness of his calling. In this, in this time and season, the fullness of his calling, when, when he was about ready to go to the cross, like we, like we sang about tonight, when he was about ready to go to the cross, he was coming into the fullness of his calling, the maturity of his calling. It's powerful. And he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He became the author of eternal salvation. This wasn't a saving of the souls of mankind for a short time. This was the saving of souls for all eternity. It was finished. It was done for all of us. And God doesn't change his mind. This is what sealed it. And it was finished and accomplished. So Jesus is our pattern. And if Jesus didn't get out of this process, then how do we think we will? <laughs> you're going to have a hard way to go <laughs> if, you're, if you're thinking that. So let's turn over one chapter to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. Hebrews 6, verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now we know this scripture well about faith and patience. We receive the promises. And this scripture is encouraging us, again, that we imitate 
the others who have gone before us, like Abraham, like Jesus, that we imitate through faith and patience, that we imitate them through it, and how they walked through faith and patience to receive the promises of God. Now, in Scripture, it says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, right? All the promises, every promise in Scripture, yes and amen in Christ Jesus. So we have the ability to obtain every promise of God in Christ Jesus. We have that ability. Now, there are many that fall short, right? Israel had the ability to inherit a certain part that God set apart for Israel to inherit in land, right? But do you know that Israel never entered into the fullness of the boundaries that God had for them? They never did. They never inherited all the land that God said, this is yours. And so it's just like us that, that we can fall short of the promises and the fullness of what God has for us in him. We can fall short of that. And in the scripture here, in verse 12, it says that you do not become sluggish. It's encouraging you not to become sluggish, but to imitate those who receive the promises. So in our lives, we can become sluggish and not receive the promises of God. As we are praying, you know, in, in times past, and this is going somewhere with, with even the word that Brian brought last, last week of possessing the gates and the ecclesia and all of those things. This ties into that. This ties into that big time. It's a continuation of Brian's message from last week. Because we can, as we are called to be the ecclesia, as we are called to possess the gates of the enemy, as we are called to, to, to see God's kingdom come on the earth in the fullness of it, we can fall, we can just at some point get sluggish and say, you know what, it's pretty good. You know, I could live like this. <laughs> but God has so much more for us. You know, in times past, when, when we would pray for the elections and we would pray for uh, presidencies, it seemed like, you know, there would be a swirling of prayer when the elections came around. And then it just kind of died down and there was nothing. But in, in the recent elections, I have seen a continuation of that, even no matter what year it is. You know, in the election cycle, a continuation of God's people pressing in and believing for more and believing for more of his promises and, and what God's destiny and purpose is for this nation and continuing in. And it's encouraging, but, but I'm also uh, maybe concerned that we will stop at some point and people will start getting just really settled and fine with where we're at and not contend for more when God has so much more for us. And we need to be careful of that and we need to be alert in that. And so I encourage you tonight, don't become sluggish. Whether you're believing something for your family, in your own life, in your family, in your business, 
whatever promise of God that you're believing for or that you're desiring to see that he has said for you, don't become sluggish in it. Don't settle for anything less, but I encourage you to press on and to imitate those who have gone before you through faith and patience to receive the promises of God. It says that Abraham obtained after patiently enduring. That's when he obtained, after patiently enduring. You know, there's been, we can see even in, you know, things that are happening now, you know, we, we see hope and potential of abortion ending in America, don't we? But, you know, there have been people that have been praying for this for 47 years. And I'm sure some of those times and seasons looked pretty bleak. But people have been praying and pressing in, and, there, and then there's been a, a multiplying of it and an adding on of it of new people coming in and praying and pressing in. And, and we're at this verge of, of, you know, the hope and the potential and us being able to see that this can happen soon. And we're, there's an excitement for it. But there was a contending. There was an enduring. And oftentimes, we only see, you know, the great thing that happens. We don't see the contending and the, the pressing through of it. There was a minister that um, when his ministry kind of flourished and got big and, and everybody was becoming aware of it and everything, he said that, you know, I often have people come up to me and they say, boy, your ministry just sprung up overnight. And he would reply to him, that was the longest night of my life. <laughs> because you didn't see the enduring. People didn't see that process. They didn't see the long suffering that went into it, the waiting patiently and, and the, the, the discipline that God was doing in them to equip them and raise them up for that time and season. You know, we only see, a lot of times we see God doing something suddenly and quickly. But oftentimes before that suddenly and quickly was a, contend, a contending and an enduring. And so we have to understand that when we are walking through processes in our own lives, when we're walking through to see promises fulfilled, to see prophetic words fulfilled that God has spoken over our lives, that that we have to continue to contend. We have to continue to, with faith and patience, endure to receive that promise that God has for us. So, there are suddenlies, but often after patiently enduring. So we cannot become sluggish. We can't, we can't just drift off. We have to be awake and alert and continue. <clears throat> and so the process is the key. And that key unlocks the eternal as well. I want to go to Psalm 40, if you would turn there with me. Psalm 40, this is a Psalm of David. David knew a little bit about patience. 
He knew a little bit about suffering. And it's wonderful that we have the Psalms to go to, to really understand how to walk through it. Because David sets a wonderful example. I could, I could read many scriptures in Psalm, but I chose this one. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Now, we can wait, but the key is, are we waiting patiently? <laughs> right? I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. You know, that word inclined there also means bend. So he bent toward me. When, when the kids were little, um, one of the pastors that we were under, he, he would pray over the children. He would pray that they would be bent towards the things of God. And I picked that up. I prayed that over my kids. I pray, I pray it over our children here at Victory, that they would be bent towards the things of God, not the things of this world. They would bend. So it says here, when David waited patiently, the Lord bent towards him, bent to him, and heard his cry. He also brought me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Now, again, David knew a little bit about waiting patiently for something. But he did wait patiently. Did you know that it was from the time David was anointed by Samuel to the time that he, was, he became king of Judah was 15 years. 15 years from the time he was anointed. And that was just he became king of Judah. It took another seven and a half years for all of the other tribes to get on board and say, okay, yeah, you're the king. Another seven years for that to happen. He understood waiting patiently for something, for a promise. He was anointed by a prophet to be king. I mean, usually when the prophet comes and anoints kings, they go and do their kingship right away. But David had to wait patiently for that promise to come to pass and be fulfilled. David knew what it was like to suffer. He had to run for his life. People tried to hunt him down to kill him. He had to live in caves with his wife, you know, and then, then his wife was taken away from him, you know, the one that he got from King Saul and, you know, all of those things. So he understood suffering in a major way. He knew it. But the one thing that, that sets David apart from all the other kings, and I believe that this process that David had to go through, just like we as sons and daughters of God have to go through, is that he was the only king that God said that his king, his throne, would last forever. That was the throne that lasted forever. Because of through, like, just like Jesus, where, where through his 
walking out patience in, in obedience, learning obedience through suffering, caused an eternal salvation to happen. With King David, through his patience and waiting, the only king that really had to do that, you know, through that enduring of obedience unto the Lord and enduring hardship as the discipline and all of that caused him to have an eternal throne through him and his lineage. And so as we allow the Lord to do that work and that process in our lives, it causes us to connect to eternity. It causes what he is doing through us to become eternal, not just to be something natural, but to to be connected to eternity in what we do. You know, the scripture that talks about how some ministry produces wood, hay, and stubble, but some ministries produce gold, silver, and those things that are lasting. It's the same type of concept, you know. People can build things in this earth, and it can look great and grandiose, but it doesn't mean that it's etern- there's eternity attached to it. That's what God is wanting to do in our lives because our lives are supposed to have eternity attached to it. We are to live eternally. And so what God is doing in our lives needs to be eternal. He wants it to be eternal. And that's the connection as we yield to the Lord and allow him to work out through the trials through the tribulations, through, you know, patience. Another word for patience is long-suffering. So even when we are, that is part of suffering then, long-suffering. Even as we endure or we overcome and receive the promises through faith and patience, we could say through faith and long-suffering. Patience is something that sets us into the suffering that causes us to inherit and become what he wants us to become. Yes, it produces character in us and it produces hope in us and all of those things so that we, so that when those things is, it's the appointed time for us to step into, we are ready and we have the ability to carry and sustain what he's wanting to give us. Amen? Amen. So here's a, here's a little story. Um, I love nativities. (laughs) My family knows, but, um, I love nativities at Christmas time, you know, and I always like if somebody's moving or getting a new house, you know, or something, I always say, do you have a nativity? (laughs) Because if they don't, I'll make sure that they have one for Christmas because that's important, you know. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, um, so I love nativities, and the reason why I, I love nativities is um, it started out as a little girl, and my parents would put a nativity under the tree, and under the Christmas tree, and it was always there, and as a little girl, I remember um, laying under the tree and playing with, you know, all of the little figurines and stuff, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, and, and so I just, through that, I grew up loving the nativity and so I wanted that for my own kids so I did the same thing I put a nativity under the tree every year 
and, you know, made it one, and always they were able to play with it. You know, it wasn't one, oh, don't touch it, you know, but they were able to play with it. So, um, but I, I was like, you know how a parent, as a parent, you know, you want to do something and have it really impactful in their kid's life, and, and then maybe it's not as impactful as you had hoped. <laughs> so it's like, you know, because I never really saw them down there under the tree playing like I did as a little girl. And so I pondered on this for a long, long time, and finally I came to a revelation, <laughs> and I realized why I was under that tree. And one thing that we did differently with our kids growing up than my parents did differently was that when, when they bought a present, they would immediately wrap it and put it under the tree, you know, so it would be there for several days before Christmas. But what we did is we would hide them away and then put them, wrap them and put them all under the tree Christmas Eve you know, after they'd gone to bed. So when they woke up Christmas morning, there was all these gifts, and it was so exciting and everything. But I realized that as a child, what drew me to the tree to sit under there by the nativity was all the gifts. <laughs> but as those, I went there for the gifts, you know, but as I sat there and waited patiently for them, I the nativity became what I enjoyed while I was waiting patiently for those gifts. So it was too late. The kids were already grown, so I, I couldn't change that really. But, um, but I had a revelation of that. And so, so with this, you know, it's like God. He gives us promises. He gives us things that I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to get this. And maybe under the Christmas tree I didn't know what gifts, but I... But I had a list that I gave my parents and I was hopeful for. But, but so maybe those promises might draw us into those waiting times of waiting patiently for the Lord. But what happens is we receive more than what we were actually waiting for. We receive what the Lord really wants to impart and download to us in him. And those, and those promises are wonderful, and he does want to give those to them. Just like those gifts under that tree, my parents wanted to give it. But I received so much more, and I received the revelation and the fullness of what Christmas was really all about. You know, under that tree, waiting patiently for my promises or gifts. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so that's what the Lord does with us in these things that he promises, and he says, I have this for you. And so we go and we wait patiently and we, you know, we look at the, we look at the presents and we, and we look at those things. We look at the promises and, oh, it's going to be so awesome when I get this promise from God. It's going to be amazing. But as we're waiting in that place before him, we get so much more. We receive what the Lord really has for us in that place. So <clears throat> patience. This is, what, this is what David did, is he waited patiently. He waited patiently for the promises. We have to wait patiently for them. We have to get before the Lord. See, that this word wait, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go to one more scripture. Isaiah 40. Many of you guys know this one. I had to, I had to go there. <laughs> 
Isaiah 40. We're going to start in verse 29. It says in verse 29, Isaiah 40, 29, he gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. You see this waiting, just as David said, I waited patiently. And here it says, those who wait upon the Lord. There is a waiting there, but waiting is not a passive thing. You know, when you go to the doctor's office and you're waiting for, you know, your appointment. And so I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to flip through some things. I'm going to get on my iPhone. And, and you're really not thinking about the reason why you're there. You're trying to forget about the reason why you're there. So, but, but the word wait in scripture is not like that. It's not a passive waiting. It's, it's an active, engaging type of waiting. And this is the waiting that talked about, like I was saying earlier, another definition of it could be binding yourself. You bind yourself to him. You interweave yourself with the Lord in the waiting. It's not something passive. It's not something that, that you know, your mind is off in other places. You're focused. You're focused. And what David would do is he would do that before the Lord as he was waiting for the promise of becoming king. As he was waiting for him to be established in Israel. He would bring those things before the Lord. He would be in God's presence, and he would be thinking about those things. The Lord is going to establish me, just like he did Israel. Just, he, he would go through Israel's history and think of all of the times and everything that God did for Israel that looked bleak and dim and the miracles that would happen. He would remind himself of those things, knowing that God was going to do it for him because he was faithful to his word. When he got discouraged, he would be before the Lord and he would say, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Yeah, David was a very uh, honest person. When he was feeling down, he would say he was feeling down and he would say why he was feeling down. But, but he didn't stop there. He never stopped there. He never left himself in that place because he knew that wasn't God's place for him. And he would always say, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. David was always taking it to that place of hope and of trust in the Lord, of what God was going to do, reminding himself of his promise and that he was faithful at his promise. That is what developed in David the character and the ability to, as when he became king, to be that in the fullness that God wanted him to be. Yes, he made mistakes as king. Yes, he failed. Yes, he sinned. But through that process, God was putting in him the authority that he needed for that position. He was building that up within him. And that's the key. 
I want to I go to something else here in Isaiah. And this is very interesting to me. When I, when I was reading it and studying it, the word here, renew. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. All right. So this word renew, I like to do Strong's Concordance studies of words. This word renew, it was used many times. It was used 28 times in scripture. And it was used three times translated as renew. So there were many other, you know, translations uh, or meanings of this word. So let me read a few. One of them means so he shall renew their strength. So instead of renew, it could be he, he shall change my strength. Change my strength. He shall strike through my strength. He shall grow up my strength. He shall abolish my strength. When we're talking about our own strength. Because remember, in the scripture, it talks about even young men grow weary. Even they fall, young men fall and faint, right? So, so there comes to a point where your strength is abolished. <laughs> but you need the Lord's strength. Abolish, or he alters my strength. But what else do we got here? I think that's all, but, but I think the one that was really interesting was how he changes our strength, how he can change it. So, so there is the word renew there, but, but there's also other, other translations or ways that you could, you could say that. So those who wait upon the Lord, their, their strength can be changed and transformed into something that is otherworldly. It's not just renewing your natural strength. But it's a transforming, a, a changing of your strength, uh, taking away of your own natural strength and God imparting supernatural strength to you. That's wonderful. So David, David was the one that, again, as we were talking about earlier, how, how God because of the process, God connected him to eternity. David actually said that we hold eternity in our hearts. That we hold eternity in our hearts. And so what God is wanting to do is, is, a, is a work in us that will be eternal. In this life, you know, and when we talk about our founding fathers in America and how when they set foot on this nation and they prayed and they dedicated this nation to God, they connected America with eternity. They were connecting what they were doing with eternity. Do you know before they got off, uh, they, they prayed and they fasted for three days before they even got off the ship? to go on to the land, and, and then they prayed that prayer, and they established a cross there. You know, they put a cross up that everyone who sees this, may they know, may they know, and may they connect with this vision and this purpose for America. And, and that's why 
we are doing what we're doing today <laughs> because there's an eternity attached to it. There's an eternity, an eternal purpose attached to it. And that's what God's wanting to do in all of us. He's wanting us to, to yield to the process of the Lord's discipline in our lives as sons and daughters so that we can inherit something not of just of this world but of something that is eternal and that carries on into eternity. That is the fullness of what God wants to bring to us. And that, and that through that process, not only does he do all of that, but he builds us and intertwines us with him in relationship. And he sets us apart unto him for glory. Amen? Amen. So, uh, Cody, can you come on up and bring some music? I wanted to pray about just two things tonight. Again, you know, David taught us an amazing, through the Psalms, taught us amazingly how to wait upon the Lord and be before the Lord. If you don't know how to do that, I encourage you to just begin to read the Psalms. And not only read the Psalms, but begin to pray the Psalms. In your, in your devotion time, when you set aside to spend time with the Lord, to get into his word, don't only read the Psalms, but begin to pray them. And what will happen is that you'll not only pray those prayers, but you'll start praying your own prayers unto the Lord in communion and in fellowship with him. And that's ultimately what he wants through even the Lord's discipline. And as we are waiting and walking out the process of promises in our lives and walking through trials and tribulations in our lives, we're, we are joining ourselves with him in a deeper and a greater way. And that's ultimately what the Lord wants. So, so I want to do two things tonight. Brian and I have, we moved here for the first time in 04, knowing that Our heart was, originally, we, we said, we're not just going to, we're just not going to start a church. It's in our hearts to start a move of God. That was what was in our hearts. And, you know, before we even moved, we started looking for properties and buildings. When we would come down here and visit, you know, our eyes would, Brian, he's so funny. I mean, any, any building that, <laughs> you know, that would make a great church, you know. He would, oh, it was just crazy how much he would say that, just driving down the road and everything. But, but here we are, 16 years later, and we're still believing for a church property for God to establish us here. But that's all right, because it's the process that the Lord has us on. And I believe this is just an example of what God is
is doing. And I believe that through this process, it's not just going to be a church, but it's going to have eternity attached to it when we receive that promise, when we receive that blessing. And I don't know what all that means, you know, and, and I'm not, and that's just our story. You know, everybody else in this region, every, every other church has their own stories. I'm just talking about ours and what I believe that God is doing and saying. And so some of you have been on that journey with us many, many years. And some of you maybe less than a year, you've been on that journey with us believing and contending. And I just want to take a little bit of time tonight just to pray over that, just to wait on the Lord in that together corporately as a body. So if you guys would just stand. I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're going <laughs> to. So <clears throat> we're just going to pray together and thank God and wait on him in our process. So Lord, Thank you, Lord, most of all, that we have your presence above everything. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We have you, and you are our inheritance. Above everything else, you are our inheritance, Father. And we thank you. We thank you for your grace upon us. We thank you for the grace to, to be a church without our own property and moving equipment and the bookstore and all of the sound stuff every week, Lord. We thank you for the grace of that, that you're working in us. Thank you, Lord, that you're working in us a tenacity that that if we just had a building we we may probably wouldn't have wouldn't have had would have been easier but you're working in us a tenacity that we will contend for the things of God and you're establishing it within us Lord because our heart is not to just have a church but to see the movings of God to see revival and awakening in this region and in our land, Lord, because that is our heart. And you're working within us the ability to carry that, the ability to sustain that, even through this process, Lord. And we just thank you and we wait on you, Lord. Through the process, we declare we wait patiently patiently for you. Our hope is in you. Lord, we thank you for the promises. We even thank you for the prophetic words that we've received. Lord, and we call them to, to your remembrance, Lord, the grand prize, the, the jackpot prize, the big prize on honor Ray that you declared, Father, 
Lord, we thank you for these words that bring us hope and that that cause us to, to, to have hope and to know that you have a plan and that you are working things out for our good behind the scenes when we don't see it. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for the words, Father, and we thank you that you're going to see them fulfilled. You are not a God that you would lie. You are not a God that you would tease us but that you will, you will call those things and you will allow those things to happen in our lives. We just thank you for it right now. Lord, we declare you are good. We declare you are good. We declare that, that your word goes forth and accomplishes what it was meant to accomplish. We thank you, God. We thank you. So we thank you that you will establish us in a greater way in this region, Lord, that we will inherit land in this region. Lord, we thank you that we will have a property where we can function 24-7, Lord, and we will not take it for granted. We will rejoice in every hour. We, we thank you. We thank you for us being in this property and the favor that we have here and the great relationship that we have with Restoration Fellowship. And we just bless Restoration. We thank you for, for the grace and the favor that they've given us, Lord, the kindness that they've given us. And we pray and declare that you will bless them and you would lead them into all truth. You would lead them into all understanding, into the fullness of what you have for that body of believers and for them as individuals. We thank you, God. We thank you that it will be easy to partner with them when you are moving in this region. Thank you for the relationships that we've built over the years with the different churches that we have we've rubbed shoulders with, Lord, the different ministries. We thank you, God, because it's going to take more than one church to contain what you're going to do. So we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that through the process, Lord, we've developed these other relationships with other churches and ministries, and you're going to use it for your good. We thank you, Lord. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We thank you for that promise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We will wait patiently. We will trust in you. We will hope in you. And we will know that when we receive this property, that it was you, you establishing us, you blessing us, you providing for us in every way. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus.
So that's kind of how you do it, right? <laughs> that's kind of how you do it. So now, what I want to do is I just want to just open up the altars and open up some time for each and every one of you just to take some time waiting on the Lord here for whatever promise the Lord stirred up in your heart tonight, whatever prophetic word, whatever, whatever you're believing God for. I just, want, I just want to open up the altars for you to have some time to be able to wait on him for him to interweave with you, for you to develop that relationship with him, for you to, to grow in what he's doing, because we won't, we won't, we won't wait passively, right? We're not going to wait passively. We're going to wait on him with all of our hearts. So I just want to open up these altars tonight for you to be able to just do that. Spend time with the Lord tonight. You and Him. If you need to go, we bless you. We just declare God's blessing and favor over you as you go whenever you leave. Thank you for being here. So be strengthened this week. Walk in God's promises. Learning how to walk in His fullness perfection for your life. We just bless you in that, to grow in that. Be strengthened in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com or download the Victory FLA app.